Welcome. This is Sheila Murthy, founder and president of the Murthy Law Firm. Thank you so much for joining us today. Our topic is H-1B, LCA compliance, not green card, but the LCA H-1B and U.S. Department of Labor investigations. For my panel today, I have two brilliant Murthy Law Firm attorneys. First, we have Adam Rosen, who is actually a member of our firm and has done in his past life H-1B work, perm green card work, and now does in the Special Projects Department complex RFEs and notice of intents to deny responses from other law firms and lawyers that he very, very ably is able to defend and help our clients and companies such as yourselves. And then we have Brian Green, brilliant litigator, one of the main filers of writs of mandamus and complex issues, does a lot of the Department of Labor investigations, ICE, Immigration and Customs Enforcement, and FDNS kind of work, helping companies all across the U.S. by traveling and negotiating with different federal agents to help our companies uh, minimize their costs, uh, protect themselves, do audits, and all kinds of really uh, exciting stuff, which is very scary, of course, if you're from the company's perspective, which I know all of you are. So when we talk about the LCA compliance investigation issues, as many of you may already be aware, investigations are conducted by the U.S. Department of Labor's Wage and Hour Division. And this Wage and Hour Division is one of the programs which is administered by the Employment Standards Administration, or ESA. And the WHD, which is the Wage and Hour Division's mission, is to promote and achieve compliance with labor standards in the U.S. So remember, the, the gist of the entire issues with anything dealing with Department of Labor is their main job or mandate is to protect U.S. citizens, U.S. workers, U.S. green card holders, other U.S. workers, so that a foreign worker will not come and somehow artificially depress the wages or working conditions of U.S. labor. So let me get started with you, Adam. What exactly would result in an investigation being triggered where the Department of Labor's Wage and Hour Division would knock on my client, the company's doors? Well, Sheila, generally there are two ways that an investigation or administrative proceedings against a company might happen. One way is that a complaint might be filed by a person or an organization that's claiming to have been injured by an alleged violation of the, H the LCA rules. So in this case, the complaint should be filed no later than 12 months after this violation allegedly occurred. Violations commonly include an employer's failure to pay the required rate, wage rate, and if the employer has not been paying the required wage, then the violation is treated as being continuous and therefore will be subject to an investigation regardless of when the failure to pay initially occurred. Now, the other way this might happen is that an investigation could be initiated by the Department of Labor itself. And since 2004, the Department of Labor's investigative authority has been expanded by the passage of a new law by the Congress, and this law allows the Department of Labor to conduct an investigation when they receive what they call credible information from known sources. And these kinds of sources are ones that would be likely to have knowledge of what the employer's actual practices are. 
And so Department of Labor should not be using information from its own sources with regard to a specific employer. However, the DOL could use information that is obtained as a result of a different investigation. So you might have them conducting uh, the immigration team at Wage and Hour might be doing an investigation of Company X and learn about something being done by Company Z, and that's information that they could use. Now the 12-month deadline rule, which applies to filing complaints, also applies to investigations started by the Department of Labor itself. In other words, the information which, is, which would be used as a basis for starting the investigation should be received by Department of Labor no later than 12 months after this alleged violation. Okay. So it's interesting. So there's generally a 12-month rule from the, when something goes wrong where the investigation is supposed to be started or filed unless it's a failure to pay wages, which is then considered ongoing even if the employee left the company years and years ago. Right? Ex exactly. Okie dokie. Uh, Brian, going, moving on to you now, how will the company or the employer know that they're being investigated? I mean, what is the procedure that the Department of Labor has to follow in such cases? Thank you, Sheila. If it's a formal investigation, the employer will receive a letter from Department of Labor, and the letter will be a notice letter saying that you're being investigated, we're requesting these documents. The way the letter arrives at the company can uh, differ. You may actually have the Department of Labor agent show up at your door, give you the letter, and say, I want these records within X number of hours or days. You may also have the letter emailed to you, or you may receive it in the mail, but usually there's a letter saying, I'm the agent, this this is what I'm requesting, this is what I'm investigating, and the investigating the investigatory time period is X date to Y date, and that's the beginning of an investigation, and the employer has to act at that point. Aha, uh -huh. okay, good. And one of the things that you all as employers and companies and businesses or HR managers, etc., need to remember that you don't need to panic and stop processing H-1 petitions or LCAs in general, because during the investigation process, the Department of Labor is still legally allowed to adjudicate the H-1B LCA because the investigation is not in and of itself a bar to filing new H-1B LCAs, and you are still allowed to file and receive LCA approvals of newly filed LCAs during this stage until there's a final finding uh, or a bar where the Department of Labor slaps a fine or a penalty against the employer, but which Brian will discuss later on today. But in the meanwhile, everything business as usual. So, Adam, what is generally the scope of the Department of Labor's investigation against companies or businesses in such, such situations? Well, Sheila, general, generally it's going to be tied to what the, the uh, reasonable cause for believing an employer violated the LCA rule. So if there are specific things that the Department of Labor has learned about, that would generally be the determining factor of their scope. Now, when a Department of Labor agent from Wage and Hour comes to an employer's premises and comes to, comes to an office, and they're going to ask to see certain documents which an employer is required to produce, and it's going to be include the public access file with copies of the certified LCAs. They'll often ask for H-1B petitions. They'll ask for information about the actual workers, like Social Security numbers, addresses, work locations. They'll ask for payroll records and documentation. They um, want to see things like the posting notices that were, that were done and would be part of the public access file. Now, usually this information is going to be limited by a certain time frame, meaning the Department of Labor has this information that triggered and caused them to conduct this investigation. And as we mentioned earlier, there's, there are time frames that operate to try to control the um, point at which and the length of the investigation. 
And so usually when they'll conduct an investigation and they'll ask for documents about H-1B workers, they'll usually present an employer with a specific time frame. So they might ask for information about H-1B workers who were working in a particular location between you know, January 2009 and December of 2009. Um, or it might be um, a shorter time frame, it might be a longer time frame. But usually it's not going to be something as broad as, we want to see information about this information about all the people that you've employed from the beginning your business started. That would be something that we would generally consider under the law as being somewhat overreaching. Aha. So just so to understand, does the employer then have to provide all of these documents to the Department of Labor, or is that something they can choose to say? To heck with you, show me the legal authority for this? Well, it's something that they would, they're would they generally required to do. And you have to be careful in how you're dealing with the officer because one of the things that's important to remember is that the public documents that are supposed to be part of the public access file, they don't, unlike ICE, where, who have to give people time, a, a couple of days' time in order to produce their I-9 forms, Department of Labor can come in and say, I want to see your public access files right now because that's part of the reason why they're called public access or public inspection well, files. the employer's main place of business, well, but that's what they It meant. depends. Remember, on the labor condition application, that's why I'm preparing this form is very important. It's that you have two options where you're going to be maintaining these records, either the place of employment or the principal place of business. And if you've clicked principal place, your principal place of business and they go there, they will ask to see the public access files. In our experience, generally, if an employer says, can you give me a couple of days, they're, our experience generally, they're pretty reasonable, and they will give an employer a couple of days to... More. So initially, to, they may say, give it within a week, but if you say, give me another week to get my documents, they may agree. They may. Or they may they not, may. or they may negotiate. They may. Okay, but, but there's the, no harm in asking for time. There's no harm in asking for time, but mm -hmm. the, even things like payroll records, the Department of Labor's rules does specifically say that an employer should be maintaining payroll records, not in the public access files, uh -huh. but that it's something that when an investigator does come knocking, they can and oftentimes will ask for it. Okay, thank you. Adam, Brian, what are the specific kinds of violations that the Department of Labor investigator tests the documents for? What are they looking for in such cases? Well, as you said, Gio, one of the main mission um, mission um, goals of Department of Labor is to protect the U.S. workforce. So wages are one of the, the key um, aspects of these investigations. And after wages, they then look at LCA postings because this is the way that U.S. workers are alerted that an H-1B worker would be entering a work site. And they also can then look into the LCAs that Adam just mentioned have to be maintained in public access files. And there are a lot of different small violations that can occur with LCAs, but they end up building up to a bigger problem. With wages, they often look at what's called back wages, and these back wages can stem from several different areas. One can be what's commonly known as benching, where someone's not being paid for active work. It could be that the end client is shut down for a holiday and the worker didn't get paid for that one day. That could be benching. The Department of Labor is currently really looking at wage levels and saying that we don't believe wage level one is appropriate for this worker. In your H-1B petition, you said this person had four years of experience. We're going to call that person wage level two, and you owe that person wage level two for the past two years. 
Beyond that, also, there's a problem with bona fide terminations. If you as an employer have not withdrawn the H-1B petition from the USCIS Service Center that approved the H-1B petition, you may still, up until this very day, have a back wage obligation to that person. And that can be pretty frightening when you look at, hey, we've had 10 people quit the company or be terminated in the last year and a half to think that you owe them all their wages for the past year and a half when they haven't been working for you. That can be a large liability for the company. LCA postings, the Department of Labor does realize that some companies are not able to post LCAs or notices at end client locations, third-party locations. They will want to see proof that the posting was done in two different locations at the actual work site, and if that proof is not there, it's a violation. Beyond that, they also are looking to see if the H-1B employer has accepted fees that are related to the H-1B process. They're looking to see if there were any mistakes on the LCAs, say the employer listed themselves as non-dependent and they actually were dependent, they may say that's a material misrepresentation which can lead to an automatic debarment of the company. They're also looking for issues where sometimes last paychecks to employees are not paid in full or deductions are made that are improper. That also can lead to a back wage violation and a separate violation for what's called unauthorized deductions. So once they are brought in on an investigation, they can look at everything in that time period and they can really get, take a fine-tooth comb and look for small violations and just rack them up. Very, very disturbing on some levels from the employer's point of view because a lot of times the company may say, well, gee, it was an innocent mistake. I didn't look at it. But as I have said in various different conferences and different sessions in such teleconferences, remember, as the employer, you are signing all such documents under penalty of perjury. It is a serious, it's a federal criminal offense. And so very important for us as employers to make sure that we're not just being busy and just putting our name and signing a document and then finding that that is extremely risky uh, for you and for the company and for the penalties that could happen, Uh, which then takes us to the question of what happens at the end of such an investigation. Uh, And at the end of such investigation, the Department of Labor investigator will actually issue a determination of a violation or violations if they find any violations. And they often will find something because always nobody's perfect perfect, unfortunately and it's so easy to find a mistake in a case it's like that joke where if a cop follows you with two city blocks they'll find that you've crossed an orange light and it's a little bit like that with the department of labor the determination notice will actually specify the nature of the violations as well as the penalties which under the department of labor they refer it to as remedies because they feel that's the way to remedy or cure the problem from the department of labor's perspective um, and the, determ- the, d- the d- determination itself should provide information about the opportunity for a hearing before the administrative law judge or ALJ. And it's, it can be requested, a hearing can be requested by any par- party that's interested, generally the employer or a person complaining. And if no hearing is requested, then the findings by the Department of Labor investigators will become final and the penalties will have to be enforced. If a hearing is actually requested, and generally that is done by you as the employer or the company, then it should be held within 120 days of the investigator's determination, and a decision by the ALJ is generally issued within another 120 days of the hearing, but these deadlines are often and can be extended by the ALJ. 
The ALJ will then affirm, deny, reverse, or amend the initial determination. So you have time frames in which we have to respond, they have to respond, they come up with final determinations. The judge, if you appeal, you have 120 days, and then they try to give you a decision in 120 days. Adam, can the ALJ's determination be appealed again? Yes. In fact, the, the, AL, the administrative law judge's decision that they issue can be appealed, and it can be um, appealed by... Um, anybody who's an interested party. So that means either the Department of Labor can appeal it or um, you as an employer can appeal that decision to um, what's called an administrative re review board, the ARB. Um, and this is just like the ALJ, the ARB is part of the Department of Labor. And these decisions are the final Department of Labor decisions for an LCA investigation. So if ultimately, uh, whether the employer or the Department of Labor is appealing it and they go to the Administrative Review Board, um, if either one doesn't get a result that they like, at that point you have another shot, but this time you actually have to take it to uh, federal district court, so U.S. district court, and um, you can fight it out there in federal court. Um, and so depending on whether or not an employer has, an employer will have to make a decision strategically sometimes on whether or not to take it further if they do actually make it to that point, or sometimes they might be forced to by Department of Labor choosing to pursue it further in federal court if they happen to lose before the Administrative Review Board. Okay, so after the uh, ALJ, you have the ARB, the Administrative Review Board, and then you have the U.S. District Courts, and then presumably the Circuit Court and Federal Depending Circuit Courts. Depending on how, how far US you or Department of Labor wants to pursue the matter. Okay, dokey. Um, Brian, I know we don't like to scare people, but the fact is sometimes knowing the, and the Department of Labor uses penalties in order to get employers to agree to certain things or comply with issues, just to give an, an idea to our clients, employers, what are the kinds of possible penalties that the Department of Labor will impose against an employer for such violations? Generally, they take two forms. The first is what we would call fines, but the Department of Labor calls civil monetary penalties or CMPs. And those could range from a couple hundred dollars per violation up to thousands of dollars per violation. And beyond that, which might be more frightening to our 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 clients and then the employers on this uh, listening to this telecast, would be the debarment, which basically means that both Department of Labor and USCIS will not approve requests from the employer for one or two years. The fines and debarments are specified based on the level of the violations found. So if the Department of Labor finds that you didn't uh, post an LCA or a notice at an end client, they have to decide whether that violation is going to be called a base violation, a substantial violation, or worse, a willful violation. And as you go from base to substantial to willful, the fines and the debarments get uh, more severe. So those are the two basic uh, sets of penalties. Beyond that, if there are findings made by Department of Labor or if during the investigation there are issues of backdating documents that come up or there are certain forgeries that are found, if you get into the realm where it's not just H-1B violations, that there are other issues there, the U.S. Attorney's Office in the right district could look into cases and decide whether or not they want to investigate for criminal violations. And it has happened that employers of foreign workers have been investigated and have faced prosecution in U.S. federal courts over uh, problems that have occurred. 
So the, the real key to remember here is that if you have five H-1B employees and Department of Labor finds you know, 10 different violations per employee, you can be looking at 50 violations. If you have two or 300 employees and you have 10 violations each, you can obviously see how great the scale can grow. And if you're talking $1,000 of violation or $5,000 of violation, eventually it becomes very, very expensive and the Department of Labor has a lot of power or negotiating strength against the company. So it's important for employers to know the risks that they're facing and to uh, to do an audit to, to find out what's going on with their company and have that knowledge and that, that um, confidence that they're doing the right thing. You're right. And, you know, the civil monetary penalties or CMP and the debarment sound scary enough, but I think it's the criminal prosecution that keeps a lot of our company clients and businesses uh, with sleepless nights because it's like, boy, I don't mind losing money. Nobody likes to lose money, but if I have to, I'm willing to throw money, but I certainly don't want to be sitting in a jail or worse, a prison uh, for some kind of intentional, willful knowing and willful misrepresentation of material fact, which actually begs the question that if you have made a mistake and as a company you find that you are, there have been violations, hopefully inadvertently, that you are going to deal with it with a good lawyer and respond to it. But the last thing you want to do is try to doctor up and cover up and white out and and do things. There's a a right way to make a correction and there's a wrong way to make a correction. And the wrong way to make a correction is really more of an attempt to hide it, to backdate document, to create a document that looks as though you've been compliant when, in fact, the document is just being manufactured now in order to try to make the agent happy. The agent isn't necessarily going to be happy with the situation as it is, but um, trying to make the agent happy will only make things worse and more likely put a company in a position of being prosecuted by a U.S. attorney's office. Because it's like criminal tampering. There, because besides the criminal penalties by the, that the Department of Labor has at their, um, at their hand, there are separate uh, criminal penalties in, the, in, the, the, in federal law that the U.S. attorney's office will turn to and use, things like destroying documents, things like manufacturing documents. And a lot of these laws were created after the Enron disaster in order to stop companies and protect workers and, and just general society from companies that are just trying to you know, victimize um, the general population. And since these are general criminal laws, um, if, a, if the government, the Department of Labor comes across these things, a U.S. attorney does have the ability to turn to these, these general criminal laws. But that so doesn't... I guess that's the crux of the issue is try whatever you do and however tempting and desperate you are, the last thing you want to do is, I tell people, if you're already in a problem or a troubled situation, it's bad enough, you don't want to dig your grave even deeper. And I think when we're all desperate and panicky, we try, we think we're helping the situation, you try to do something and it can end up being 10 times worse. But Adam, can the employer, if they're aware of violations, try to correct them? Uh, to help to minimize the penalties. And what I mean by that is not doctor or tamper with evidence, but correct it in the future for future employees or, you know, take possible efforts to comply with it. Or I'm not, you know, again, bringing up, I know the correction after you're caught is clearly legal, but what about correction? Well, you can make corrections. Correct. You can make corrections. And even when the Department of Labor investigator comes knocking on your door and asks for documents, it's certainly possible to to correct things. I mean, if you have a public access aisle, for example, and there is something that, that should be there, 
um, but isn't there. You can certainly, and under under the circumstances, you know, it can um, be okay to put something in there that was missing, but as long as it's clear that it's being added later in time, that it's clear that it's something that's being added later so that when the, Depart the Department of Labor agent sees that it wasn't there when it was supposed to be, but it was there, it was added later, that is something that, that, that can be done. So it, it the idea is in order to try to avoid the harsher penalties to make good faith efforts to comply with the requirements despite the fact that you did fail. The idea is that you can't do something that hides you from hides your, hides your your mistakes from the agent, but you're upfront with the mistakes that you did. But you're showing you're trying to as best as possible without creating documents to show that you're trying. You understand that there was a mistake. You're trying to fix the mistake as best as possible at this late date, and that um, in the future you you've learned from it and hopefully will not be making those mistakes in the future. And at the end of this investigation, when the Department of Labor has to make their determination and issue that letter with the violations and, and penalties or remedies, the, the ultimate goal in doing these things uh, carefully is that the DOL will take these things into consideration and use that in when they assess their penalties. And, and hopefully that ultimately when they issue that determination, uh, the amount of money that they're saying a company owes will be considerably less. And even if it is a, you know, a sizable sum, that it doesn't include anything, any severe penalties like debarment. Okay. Okay. And so I think it's sort of important, I guess, if you say, gee, this sounds all kind of a little scary, a little overwhelming. I know we've been hearing about these investigations going on for the last uh, you know, at least several, several, years, years, several now. years now. And in fact, we have a team here that just focuses and does this kind of work. And we actually did it as a response to help companies and businesses deal with these problems, with these unfortunate problems. Uh, but the simplest and best way is to try to dot all the I's, cross all the T's, follow the rules, try to not engage in violations, if at all possible, and to have an established internal system of LCA and H1 compliance, uh, which could include internal monitoring of the H1 process, you know, determining the wage by going through the proper channels and showing the different levels and why the level was used so that protects you and your company, uh, ret retaining the public access files and having internal audits, uh, nothing like having preferably an outside company, whether it's a law firm such as the Murthy Law Firm or some other company, you know, if you have general counsel's office, internal counsel, uh, external counsel come in and really sit down and look and s look at it without being biased by being too internal by looking and saying, well, this won't work or these actually are wonderful systems that you have in place. And our firm, for example, has represented companies with no violations and we've done internal audits as well as companies with significant violations. Um, we review the company documents. Uh, which pertain to the filing of the H-1BLCAs and H-1 petitions. And after the initial assessment, uh, the Brian Green and the rest of the team here will actually make recommendations on specific violations as well as on general business practices with regard to the LCA and H-1 process. And if the investigation is already underway by the time our firm is contacted or you contact the, the, law, the lawyer, then the attorneys may represent the company in negotiating negotiations with the Department of Labor, 
before and after the issuance of the determination letter. There's always room for negotiation. Don't always. There's no guarantee. And there's there's always an opportunity to appeal. We had we've had companies that have contacted us when they've gotten the determination letter, and we've appealed it to the uh, to the administrative law judge. And that that is always possible, even if you have a lawyer that's coming into a an investigation at the conclusion. Ah. There there may be there may be something there that is possible to argue in front of an administrative law judge. Um, perhaps there is, you know, even if there is a claim for back wages that may run into the hundreds of thousands of dollars, maybe millions, there may be some argument that is available to a company to try to reduce that down from millions to hundreds of thousand dollars. And, and it still may be a lot of money, but it's it can it's maybe something that would Still be possible. Still a lot of money saved, and you never want to be penny wise and, and pound foolish. Right, and the other thing is that as long as this is ongoing, there's you know LCAs can be can be processed and certified. H one B petitions can be approved. Perm cases can be certified. I one forties can be approved because if kick in until after the finals are the findings are final and my, and my key suggestion is, is that you have to watch these deadlines if the findings are issued you only have a certain number of days to file the appeal to the ALJ and if you don't file by a certain date the case is over as Sheila said earlier it's final and you don't have the appeal to the ARB you don't have an appeal to the US District Court you don't have any more power it's done so if you are in a situation where you have a findings letter or it's getting very close and you haven't worked with an attorney yet you need to call an attorney and get this in, get involved in that situation because once the time limit's over, you, you lose the power to control your situation. Well, I'll tell you what, I'm sure that uh, the companies and the clients and the businesses on this call and the HR people are appreciative of the overview because it at least gives you a sense of what to do and where to get started. The greatness of this wonderful country and this great democracy that we all call America is that you do have multiple levels of being able to be represented by an attorney or counsel or law firm of your own choice or choosing. Uh, and you can always file an appeal to an appeal to an appeal until eternity. Now, it may waste time and money, and at some point it may not make sense. But if you believe that justice has not been served and you want to get aggressive and fight, well, certainly we at the Murthy Law Firm can take fantastic care because we have a fabulous team dedicated to helping you and your business stay afloat, continue to file H-1 and green card cases, and we would be honored to team up with you in any and all of your processes and filings. Brian or Adam, would you like to add anything else? The one last thing that I wanted to mention is that in all the things that we've talked about, steps that you can take before an investigation ever starts or taking, trying to take steps amidst an investigation, the, many companies have policies um, about how to do things, and sometimes companies will put a policy in place. The, the most important thing that I probably can say as a takeaway here is that if you have a policy, if a company has a policy, make sure to follow it, and don't put a policy in place if, if, the, if the employees who would be responsible for implementing it are not ready, willing, and conscientious to do so, because the, the thing that an investi government investigator loves most is a policy in place that an, a company has failed to comply with, because that, that in itself will be probably front and center on their determination letter as a violation. Wonderful. Thank you, Adam. Brian, any final thoughts? Absolutely. If an employer is working on their own with a Department of Labor investigator, they need to understand that their words, their statements to the investigator are evidence, and they actually will be used against them, like they say in a court of law. If you say, yes, we didn't post, or yes, we didn't pay this person X amount of dollars, you have basically made a confession. Admitted. admitted. Oh, my God. That is evidence, and they don't have to do any more investigation on that point. If you have a lawyer, a counsel, an intermediary, 
secretary in between you and the Department of Labor, you can have a firewall there that protects you and slows things down and makes you understand the process before you leap into it. And we have gone across the country from West Coast, East Coast. We've represented companies as small that had maybe just one employee complaining about a failure to pay wages, but that one employee's violation could lead to debarment. So even one small problem, if it's big enough, can cause a big company a lot of problems with I-140 petitions, LCAs, H-1B extensions. You may have people that are looking for a 7th, 8th, ninth year H-1B extension, and they can't get it because the department kicks in. So employers need to take this seriously, and they need to respond promptly. And our goal certainly is not to scare anyone, but to be cautious, to be careful, to be wary, and always make it a point to try and have, uh, to use Brian's term, that firewall, a good attorney, counsel, outsider, so that you are not making statements that inadvertently can get you into trouble, but ensure that you protect yourself, your company, your business, so that you can continue to grow and strive and succeed, even with all of these different government agencies sort of almost going after, it seems like the poor companies and businesses and consulting companies in particular seem to be taking a lot of heat. And it seems a terrible tragedy that in this economy we have to deal with stuff like that because here are employers and businesses creating jobs and doing all these amazing, cool things. But each time you try to do something good, your hands are tied and they slap you with penalties and scare you. And then you begin to panic and say, should I even bother, which is the most common um, point that many of my employer clients, when I talk to them, they always tell me, I don't even know if this is worth continuing in this kind of business. And so you don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater. You want to focus and say, how can my business continue to succeed and strive? And I think having a good law firm, a good lawyer, a good team internally, a good HR team that you probably hopefully already have, and a wonderful experienced law firm like the Murthy Law Firm can be a marriage made in heaven. Uh, Without further ado, have a wonderful rest of the day, and thank you for participating in today's conference.